Good morning. This morning we are going to be looking at Psalm 93, so if you have your Bibles, you can take them and turn to Psalm 93. I think we need to be reminded from time to time that the Lord reigns. That's what we'll be reminded of as we look at Psalm 93 together. The Lord reigns over all. In the fictional book series and movie <clears throat> titled A Series of Unfortunate Events, the three orphaned Baudelaire children Violet, Klaus, and Sonny are placed into the care of a distant cousin. The evil criminal mastermind and serial killer, Count Olaf, who, as it turns out, is seeking to kill these three siblings in an attempt to seize the Baudelaire fortune. Count Olaf makes attempt after attempt on their lives, but he does so unsuccessfully. And so these series of unfortunate events occur in the lives of these Baudelaire children. The first, first book in the series begins quite darkly. Listen to how the book begins. If you are interested in stories with happy endings, you would be better off reading some other book. In this book, not only is there no happy ending, there is no happy beginning and few happy things in the middle. Now that got me, you know. I, I'm in. I, I want to know more. But life can feel like that sometimes to us. Like a, a series of unfortunate events in which there is seemingly no happy ending, no happy beginning, and few happy things in the middle. Maybe you find yourself there this morning. Things at times seem to be out of control and are simply a series of unfortunate events. Life can seem chaotic at times. And it may at times feel like the only thing you can count on is things going wrong. Or that the only thing you can count on in this life is that you can't count on anything in this life. Well, this morning we're going to be reminded from God's Word that in the midst of all the uncertainty and chaos, we may see around us that the Lord reigns over all. Despite the way you may feel, despite the way circumstances may seem, the Lord is on the throne. And he is ruling and reigning today and every day. We need to be reminded of that regularly. We need to have our faith built up, our skepticism challenged by the word of God, applied to our hearts by the spirit of God, so that we're not overcome by pessimism and cynicism or hopelessness or fear. The Lord reigns over all and we can trust him Today and every day that he is in control of all things and that he is good in all that he does. And Psalm 93 
takes us right to the heart of the matter. So let's look there. Psalm 93. Let me read it for us, and then I'll pray. Psalm 93. The Lord reigns. He is clothed with majesty. The Lord has clothed and girded himself with strength. Indeed, the world is firmly established. It will not be moved. Your throne is established from of old. You are from everlasting. The floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their pounding waves. More than the sounds of many waters, than the mighty breakers of the sea, the Lord on high is mighty. Your testimonies are fully confirmed. Holiness befits your house, O Lord, forevermore. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the certain rock and foundation that you are for us if we will build our lives upon you. If we look for hope in anything else, we'll find that we have built our lives on sand. And when the rains come and the winds blow, that structure will not stand. Lord, our strength then is not in our circumstances, it's not in our abilities, but it's in you. You are our rock. You are our fortress. We can run in and find safety in time of need. And when is the time of need? It's all the time, Lord. We need you every day. So increase our faith from Psalm 93 today. Show us the way things truly are. Show us how we ought to be thinking about the world around us and your operation in it, your rule over it, and help us to trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Psalm 93 is going to provide for us, I believe this morning, five faith-building features of the Lord's reign over all. Five features of the Lord's rule that will build our faith, increase our courage, For daily living. Courage that comes from the Lord. But baked into all this and baked into this psalm is the identity of the Lord. Who is the Lord? Well, He is Yahweh or Jehovah. The tetragrammaton transliterated by our English letters Y-H-W-E. H, Yahweh, and usually designated in our modern English translations by the word LORD in all caps. Do you notice that? You notice that in your text this morning? The LORD, the word LORD is in all caps. That is to signify that it is this word Yahweh, this special designation of who God is. He is the LORD. Yahweh is a special name of God. It is the self-revealed name of God. It is the personal name of God. It is the covenant name of God. It is the name God uses as he relates to us graciously. He is to us Yahweh. 
It is the most frequently used name for God in the Old Testament, occurring 5,321 times. Yahweh. Yahweh is the one who described himself to Moses in this way in Exodus 34. It says, Then the Lord, Yahweh, passed by in front of him and proclaimed, The Lord, Yahweh, the Lord, Yahweh God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. Who is this Lord? Who is Yahweh? He is the compassionate, gracious, merciful God, full of patience and forgiveness. This is the Lord. This is Yahweh. This is our God. And this is who is reigning. This is who rules over all things. The compassionate, merciful kind, patient, forgiving, all-wise Yahweh. We know that the Lord, Yahweh, is the God who created all things, all that is. He is the God of the Bible. He is the God who is three in one. He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God the Father is Yahweh, God the Son is Yahweh, and God the Spirit is Yahweh. So it is Yahweh who the psalmist is describing here in Psalm 93. The personal, covenant-making, and covenant-keeping God, who's merciful, kind, patient, loving, and forgiving. And the psalmist declares here in the first verse of Psalm 93 that Yahweh reigns. He rules. And as we will see, there is no limit to his rule and to his reign. The Lord, Yahweh, reigns over all. Psalm 93 is the first of a group of psalms called kingship psalms goes from Psalm 93 to Psalm 100. And those psalms all underscore Yahweh's rule over all things. So this is a great place to turn in the Bible when you're struggling with fear, when you're struggling with anxiety, when you're struggling with doubts and pessimism and skepticism. Turn to Psalm 93 and begin reading through the next seven psalms. And be encouraged and equipped with the knowledge that the Lord is in control, despite the way things seem, despite the fact that the world around us seems like it's in chaotic turmoil all the time, the Lord reigns. In this psalm, Psalm 93, the psalmist breaks down the details of this reign for us, helping us to see the height and the breadth and the length and the depth of Yahweh's total rule over all things. Okay, so we're going to see five faith-building features of the Lord's reign over all. First of all, the Lord reigns over all in strength and majesty. He reigns over all in strength and majesty. The 
The psalmist says, the Lord reigns. He is clothed with majesty. The Lord has clothed and girded himself with strength. The psalmist is saying here that the Lord's reign is the real deal. He rules in strength and majesty. He is no paper tiger. He is not playing at king. This isn't dress up. He is the real deal. He has real power and real authority to back up his rule over all. Now the psalmist here uses the metaphor of clothing. We know God is spirit. Doesn't have a body like us. The Lord Jesus Christ does, of course, because of his incarnation. And he is forever now the God-man. But God himself is spirit. But the psalmist uses a metaphor here of clothing to help us kind of picture this in our minds a little bit. Ancient kings wore clothing that typically set them apart from all others. We get that. You could walk into a crowded room, and if the king was there, you wouldn't have to guess who he was. He would stand out merely by his clothing, his attire. The crown jewels of the United Kingdom are so restricted to and associated with the monarchy that whoever is wearing them must be, by definition, the king or the queen. Because no one else wears them. It's been said that clothes make the man. Well, I don't know how true that is of human beings. But when it comes to God, his clothing is what makes him who he is. That is to say, Yahweh is not merely clothed with majesty. He is majestic. He is all-powerful because he is the one true God. Of course, this isn't the full extent of God's attributes listed here. I mean, it's only five verses, right? So, But the psalmist picks out these two as being fundamental to his rule, his majesty and his strength, which makes sense. When you're talking about ruling over all things, you've got to have the power and you've got to have the transcendence to pull off that kind of a rule. And that kind of a reign. And that's exactly who God is. Of course, the psalmist could have also said that God is clothed in omniscience and omnipresence. Or that he's girded with perfect love and justice. For those two are parts of God's attributes of who God is. But the Holy Spirit inspired writer focuses in here simply on God's majesty and his strength, qualities befitting any truly great king, any truly great ruler, has to have strength and a measure of majesty. And Yahweh has it in full measure. Majesty speaks of God's glory, his transcendence. Psalm 104 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed. Notice the metaphor again. 
You are clothed with splendor and majesty, covering yourself with light as with a cloak. Wearing a cloak of light, glorious, resplendent, beautiful, stretching out heaven like a tent curtain. That's what the Lord can do. That's how transcendent he is. He stretches out the heavens like a curtain in a tent. No more difficult than than us pulling the shower curtain. The Lord stretches out the heavens like a curtain in a tent and wears a glorious robe of light. God's majesty is his glory, his perfections. The Lord, Yahweh, is the only perfect being. Yahweh is perfect in his being. He is perfect in all his ways. He is perfect in all that he does. He is good and he does good. Not only is he clothed in majesty, but he is also clothed and girded in strength. Strength is his clothing and strength is his belt. A belt was used so that a person could move about freely without their garment tangling up their legs and they could move quickly and they could move effortlessly in that way. And the picture here is that God's strength is like a belt that makes him able to do whatever he needs to do. His strength makes his abilities unlimited. Yahweh is strong. In fact, he is omnipotent. All-powerful. Nothing is too difficult for him. Nothing is impossible for him. For he has all power, all strength, and he is the Almighty. Now, all of this speaks to who Yahweh, our God, is. He is the majestic one, the God of all strength and power and ability. Everything else in this psalm flows from this truth of who God is. For as God is, so God does. Yahweh acts exclusively in accord with who he is. He never acts contrary to who he is. And he is majestic and almighty. Okay, so that's the first faith-building feature of the Lord's reign. He rules over all in strength and majesty. Secondly, the Lord reigns over all creation and ensures its stability. The Lord reigns over all creation and ensures its stability. The psalmist continues in verse 1. Indeed, 
The world is firmly established. It will not be moved. This is one of the implications of Yahweh's majesty and strength. Since the Lord is clothed in majesty, and since he is clothed in and girded about with strength, the world is secure. It is stable. It is firmly established and it will not be moved. He's got the whole world in his hands, right? We sang that as kids. It's true. He's got the whole world, the universe and everything in it, everything, everything is in his hands. And his hands are strong, his hands are mighty, his hands are majestic, and therefore the world is in good hands. Might not seem like it. Might seem like God's dropped the ball, but he hasn't. Since Yahweh is the creator and sustainer of the world, the world, the universe, all of creation is firmly established and it will not be moved. Proverbs 8 describes God's act of creation. Listen to it. Proverbs 8.27 When God established the heavens, when he inscribed a circle on the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above, when the springs of the deep became fixed, when he set for the sea its boundary so that the water would not transgress his command when he marked out the foundations of the earth. This is God's powerful, creative act. And since he is the creator, he continues to exercise all power and authority over that creation. Revelation 4.11 in that great vision of the throne room. Revelation 4.11 says, Worthy are you, O our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. Why? For you created all things, and because of your will, they existed and were created. You willed them to exist, and there they were. Therefore, you are worthy of honor, glory, and power. Hebrews 1.3 says that God the Son was active in creation and that he continues to uphold all things by the power of his word. Colossians 1.17 says that in God the Son, all things hold together. All things in this world are kept together and don't fly apart into oblivion. Because of the sustaining power of the Lord Jesus Christ to keep them together. This world is a regulated world. Regulated, controlled, and sustained by Yahweh, our God. Because Yahweh is majestic and strong, and because He is the creator and sustainer of the universe... The universe is firmly established. It will not be moved. Now we hear messages all the time that the world is in grave peril of total destruction and that humanity is on the brink of total annihilation. 
whether it be because of climate change or nuclear holocaust or overpopulation and famine, we're told that the future of the world is in the balance and that it's up to us to ensure that doesn't happen. Well, that's a lie. The world is going to be destroyed one day. That is true. But it won't be because of human-caused climate change or nuclear attack or anything else. It will be because God has promised to remake the world, to destroy the world. The elements will all melt with fervent heat, and God will make all things new, including a new heaven and a new earth. But until that time, the world is firmly established. Why? Because it is created, controlled, and sustained by Yahweh. The one who's clothed in strength and majesty. Should we be good stewards of the world we live in? Of course. Should we do everything we can to avoid nuclear war? Yes. This is common sense. But let's not live in fear. There are plenty of things to be concerned about as a Christian, but the end of the world isn't one of them. Because the Lord reigns. So let's live each day in the confidence of that truth. That God is on the throne. That he is strong and he is majestic. Thirdly, the Lord reigns over all eternally and everlastingly. Look at verse 2. Your throne is established from of old. You are from everlasting. Yahweh's throne, the symbol and locus of kingly rule, is established from of old. God has always reigned because he has always been majestic and all-powerful. But there is a sense in which his reign and rule was only given its full expression at creation. For before that, there was only God, eternally existing in all his perfections and persons in complete contentment and self-sufficiency. He was still majestic and still omnipotent, but there wasn't anything to display and measure that strength by until he created the universe and everything in it. Does that make sense? Blows your mind a little? Blows my mind? He was always who he is. But until the creation, his reign and his rule was not fully expressed and visible and on display for there was no one else to see it. His throne is from of old. His rule and reign is from the beginning of time and even before time began. And furthermore, the psalmist says that Yahweh is from everlasting. He had no beginning and he will have no end and therefore his rule will have no end for his 
might, his strength, and his majesty have no end, even as they had no beginning. He always has been who he is, and he therefore has always ruled over all things and will always rule over all things. Psalm 102.25 says, Of old you founded the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. Even they will perish, but you endure. And all of them will wear out like a garment. Like clothing you will change them, and they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will not come to an end. The world's like a garment, and it's got holes in it. It's getting worn out. But God's garments of strength and majesty never wear out a bit. Hebrews 13.8 says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the beginning and the end. And therefore, He can be counted on. He is trustworthy. He was there for you yesterday. He's there for you today. He'll be there for you tomorrow. His strength was there for you yesterday. It's there for you today. It'll be there for you tomorrow. The Lord's reign is eternal. It had no beginning and it will have no end. The ravages of time do nothing to limit or diminish the rule and reign of God. So you can build your life on that. You can trust in that. You can bank on that. Fourthly, the Lord reigns over all chaotic threats. The Lord reigns over all chaotic threats. Look at verse 3 and 4. The floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their pounding waves. More than the sounds of many waters, than the mighty breakers of the sea, the Lord on high is mighty. So what's all this talk about floods in the midst of God's strength, majesty, and the fact that the world is firmly established? What are these floods doing? Lifting up. The picture here is of the power of Rushing water, water on the move, towering waves, powerful currents, raging rivers, overwhelming storm surges, and devastating tsunamis. In ancient times, one of the most terrifying, threatening, and destructive forces imaginable was water and even so it is today the power of water when enough water is accumulated in one place and is moving there's almost nothing that can stop it right it wipes out everything in its path That's the picture here. There was little to be done against the overwhelming forces of water. This reality caused floods to be viewed as emblematic of disasters in general 
and of other chaotic forces in the world. Whether it be the chaos of war, or the chaos of a natural disaster, or the chaos of disease, or the chaos of famine, or chaos that ensues from any unforeseen disastrous circumstance. That's the picture. And these floods here are pictured as being lifted up. Chaos lifted up like a great wave. Water stacking itself upon itself. Creating a great wall of terror from which there seems no escape. This lifting up is likely a metaphor for the swelling pride of Israel's enemies of evil in the world. With the fall of man into sin has come the curse upon this world. The curse of sin on this world. And the world is now a place that is literally hazardous to your health. You know, cigarettes come with a warning label for good reason. From the Surgeon General. Smoke these and they will kill you. Something like that, you know. It's a loose quote. Well, there is a sense in which a similar warning label should be tattooed on the palms of our hands at birth. Just as a constant reminder. Warning. Living life in this fallen world will result in your death. That's the truth. We're all going to die because of sin, because of this cursed world. Whether we live long or live short lives, that's where we're all headed for, should the Lord not return before then. And it can seem as if this world is just churning and churning in chaos with threats on every side. It can seem as though the forces of nature and of evil around us are operating with total control, wreaking havoc on our lives and on those lives of people we love. And it can even seem at times like these harmful and evil forces are greater than anything else. That they're running rampant and they're running unopposed. But look at verse 4. More than the sounds of many waters, than the mighty breakers or waves of the sea, the Lord on high is mighty. Notice this is a comparative statement. More than. It's a comparison of the greater to the lesser. More than the great power of moving water, more than the great power of the sea is the power of the Lord Yahweh. He is mightier. He is higher than any great devastating wave, than any circumstance of seeming chaos and destruction. 
The Lord is mightier than any other power in the universe. In the book of Job, Job wants some answers. And the Lord answers Job's questions with a series of his own questions, revealing the surpassing rule and power of God over all creation, even the devastating power of the sea. Listen to what Job, uh, God says in Job 38, verse 8. Who enclosed the sea with doors? When bursting forth, it went out from the womb. When I made a cloud its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band. And I placed boundaries on it and set a bolt and doors. And I said, thus far shall you come, but no farther. And here shall your proud waves stop. Notice the language there. Attributing pride to the sea. And the disastrous consequences of its power. Here shall your proud waves stop. God is in control of every other force and power in this world. Whether that be a physical, natural force or a spiritual, unseen force of evil. God is greater, higher, and mightier than all. And Jesus manifested the same great power over the sea and over chaos in his own life. Again and again. But he did it most clearly in Luke chapter 8 and verse 22. Let me just read it for you. Now on one of those days, Jesus and his disciples got into a boat and he said to them, let us go over to the other side of the lake. And so they launched out. But as they were sailing along, he fell asleep and a fierce gale of wind descended on the lake and they began to be swamped and be in danger. And they came to Jesus and woke him up saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he got up and he rebuked the wind and the surging waves and they stopped and it became calm. And he said to them, where is your faith? They were fearful and amazed saying to one another, who then is this that he commands even the winds and the water and they obey him? I'll tell you who he is. He is Yahweh. The Lord clothed in strength and power. The Lord clothed in majesty. The Lord's power is greater than any power in this world. And he rules over all. Fifthly and finally, the Lord reigns over all his covenant promises. Verse 5. Your testimonies are fully confirmed. Fully confirmed. Holiness befits your house, O Lord, forevermore. The testimonies that are fully confirmed here are Yahweh's words. It's the totality of his revelation to us in his word. What God speaks is true. And what God wills comes to pass. He's never thwarted. He's never defeated. He's never sidetracked. He never has to come up with plan B. With God, there is no plan B, right? There isn't. It doesn't exist. 
There is only plan A, and it always happens. Now, that may create other questions in your minds and difficulties, but that is the God of the Bible. His testimonies are fully confirmed. Isaiah 55, 11 says, So will my word be which goes forth from my mouth. It will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. When the Lord speaks, what he wills comes to pass. His testimonies are fully confirmed. And his testimonies especially include his promises, his covenant promises. That promise he made all the way back in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, after the fall of mankind into sin, that that Eve would give birth to a seed, a, a, a son, and this son would deal a death blow to the enemy, the serpent. That there was going to come a time when the curse would be reversed and that deliverance would be experienced. God's promise goes all the way back to the Abrahamic promise of Genesis 12 and Genesis 15. Promise that Abraham would be blessed and that the whole world would be blessed through him and through his descendants. And of course, his promise to us includes his promise of the new covenant, which we celebrate this morning in the Lord's table. The new covenant where our sins would be forgiven and God would give us new hearts. Not hearts of stone anymore, but hearts of flesh. Hearts that are responsive to him and to his word, that are eager to honor and obey God. God rules and reigns in such a way that his promises, all of his promises, must and will come to pass. That's because holiness befits his house. God is holy. When we want to say that someone has got it made, sometimes we say something like this, they're living like a king. Or they, she lives like a queen. She's got it made. Well, in a perfect sense, God is living like a king. A pure, perfect, holy king. And holiness befits his house. It is fitting that his royal throne, his royal mansion should be characterized by holiness since he himself is holy. Holiness here refers to both the transcendence of God, that he is wholly other than us, that he is beyond us, that he is greater than us, but it also speaks to his sinlessness, his perfections, his righteousness, his justice. Exodus 15, 11 says, Who is like you among the gods, O Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in praises, working wonders? Psalm 
holiness refers to God's transcendence and his complete sinlessness and righteousness. And God's house, his dwelling place, his royal palace is decked out in holiness. So what hope is there for us? Any holy people here? Practical holiness. You've never sinned. No one? Me either. So how do I get to God's house? His royal palace. There's no hope for me on my own. Because holiness befits his house. And I am not fit for his house. For I am not holy. But this God, Yahweh, who rules over all, is good and merciful as we saw before. And God the Father sent his holy son, Jesus, to live a perfect life, to die the death of a substitute, a sacrifice, like a lamb, a spotless lamb, for the sins of others. And in so doing, by faith, because of God's grace, Jesus would make us holy in God's sight through his righteous life and his sacrificial death as a substitute. Because God is holy, it means all his ways are just. All his actions are right. All his motives are good. All his ways are pure. And you can trust him. And he proved that. He proved the fact that you can trust him by sending his own son to make you and I holy when there was no hope for us. When there was no way for us to enter into God's house. But now, by grace, through faith in Jesus Christ, we ourselves are called and declared to be holy in his sight. Holiness befits his house and he welcomes us in as sons and daughters of the Most High King. Let's pray. The Lord reigns. He is clothed with majesty. How majestic is your name in all the earth, O Lord, our Lord, Yahweh, our God and our King. You are greater than any other power and any other force in this world. And though all around us seems to be churning in the chaos of unbridled evil and uncontrolled natural forces. Lord, we know that you rule and reign and you have a good purpose in all that takes place, even those devastating, heartbreaking losses of our life. 
Forgive us, Lord, for doubting you. Forgive us for our pessimism and our cynicism and our anxiety and our faithlessness. Strengthen our faith in you and in your reign and in your goodness and in your strength and in your holiness. Whenever we doubt your goodness and whenever we doubt your ability to do what seems impossible, may we look to the cross and see forever that question settled. Does God care? Does God know me? Does he love me? Has he abandoned me? The cross tells us no. He has not abandoned us. He loves us with an everlasting love. And he's done all that's necessary to make us holy in his sight. Thank you, Lord Jesus Christ, for being our sufficiency, for being our great king, And for declaring as you ascended to the right hand of the Father that all authority has been given to you because you rule and reign over all. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.